us, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Pastor Berto, for that word. Come on, the Lord was using Pastor Berto to just make an announcement. Come on, tell everyone in this place to repent, to have their hearts pure. Come on, you know what you come in here with, the baggage, the weight, the sin. Come on, let's repent before the Lord in this place. Let's repent before the Lord. Could I want to share this quick story? And as we all were repenting before the Lord, maybe a couple years back, we had Brother Andrew uh, leading up the Royal Rangers. Um, that's a ministry for the children because we believe that the children can know Jesus and experience him and worship and love him. And... Um, I remember there was tarp on the floor of the church and there was a mound of dirt and everyone went in to go ahead and look for worms or just got their hands dirty and, and of course little kids, little boys get excited going and playing with dirt and they're getting dirty and they're having a fun time and so they teach them, okay guys, we have to wash our hands and so what do we use to wash our hands? And well, we, we get soap. So we got soap and everybody washed their hands and scrubbed their fingers to make sure all the dirt was out. And then he tied it in how Jesus washes our heart. Because he asked the kids, okay, now go ahead and wash your heart. And they were confused. Their, their look on their faces, like, how, how do I, do I take the soap and, and rub my chest so I'm where my heart is? And they didn't know how to do it. But Brother Andrew, <laughs> amen. He said, Jesus, Jesus washes your heart. Jesus cleans your heart. You can't reach it. But Jesus did when he died on the cross. So right now with all eyes closed in this place. Come on, we're a church. We believe in Jesus. We believe that he washes our sin. And I think that's a word from the Lord to repent. Come on, if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, but you want to know him, the Bible calls you to repent. To ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins because when he died on the cross, that's what he did. He forgives you of your sins. He gives you access to the kingdom. You are a stranger to God, but he says, because I died on the cross, but because I love you, you can know me and I can know you. So all across this place, with a heart of reverence and a heart reaching out to the Lord, Lord, we repent as a church. For all people in this place, God, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to them, Lord, that they would know that there's no more hiding, that there's no way they can hide. Maybe no one's talked to them and said repent lately, but God, you called them out right now. So, Lord, we pray that you would go out and touch their heart, and God, that they would know you, that they would experience your love in this place and experience the freedom of sin because you're a holy God. We declare, God, you are a holy God. Cry, holy, holy are you. We cry, holy, holy. 
we cry, we cry holy, holy are you. A heart so Jesus, the one true God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. There is no one like him. And I heard a definition of glorify this week. It means to give him praise and honor for all of his excellencies. We serve an excellent God. We serve a mighty God. Jesus is the only way. And I want to tell you here the Bible says, Jesus himself says when he was walking the earth, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. That's good news for you this morning because he makes dead things live. I am the resurrection and the life. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, dead things become alive. The hopeless receive hope. The sick receive healing. The broken become whole. We have to be desperate for a move of God. You have to be desperate for God to move in you. 
You have to be desperate to want to become alive. You have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired of what this world offers you, of what sin does to you. So we're going to sing this again with hearts burning. When Jesus rose from the dead, he came into the presence where the disciples were meeting. And they said, we're not our hearts burning inside of us. We knew he was here. You will know when God visits you. You will know when God has touched you. You will know when you have been transformed because your heart will burn for him. So if that is you, sing this this morning. We set our lives apart. We are consumed. We are consumed. For we are your burning ones. We are your burning ones. We are consumed. awesome God. For those that don't know me, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. And I'm going to preach the gospel to you this morning. For those that don't have a right relationship with God, you've never been born again. Jesus declared in scripture that you must be born again to get to heaven. So I want to preach this message to you quickly this morning. As they put up the verse, I want you to think about what Jesus did for you on the cross. He died so you could live, and he is worthy of your life. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. This is how he demonstrated his love for you. 
Say, th th say it to yourself. This is how Jesus demonstrated his love for me. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die because we were perfect. He didn't die because we had it all together. He died because we were dirty. He died because we were set apart, separated because of our sin from a living God. That's why he came. And so many people use the excuse, I got to get it all together. I got to go home and fix some stuff before I come to Jesus. And you don't understand. He died for you in your current state. When everything is messed up, when all hell is breaking loose in your family, people are dying all around you. There's heartache and brokenness. Jesus died so you could live. Jesus died so you could have hope. Jesus died so you wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell. This message is for you today. Jesus is drawing you. He's calling you. It's time to give it all up for him. We've given it all to the world. We've given the world the best of ourselves, and we're still empty and dry. Even, and if you don't feel empty and dry, you're still lost. This world doesn't compare with the love of our Jesus. With all eyes closed all across this room, if you feel your heart burning, Jesus is calling you. Today is a day of salvation. I'm going to pray, and I want you to agree with me if this is you. Jesus, I pray for every lost person in this room who has never been born again. They've never come to you to be changed and transformed, to be forgiven of their sins, to have a, a, a renovation done, a demolition done in their life. I pray that today they make the decision. No more playing games. It's all or nothing, God. I pray that today they make that decision to choose you and to stop rejecting you. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody said amen and amen. Please stand up to your feet with me this morning. We're going to have prayer workers right here to the side. Pastor Griselda and Andrew, who is one of our governing elders, if you mean business with God and you want to change your life, please see them for prayer during our fellowship time. In just a couple of minutes, go to them. They'll pray for you. And then you want to ask, how do I get plugged into the discipleship in this church? Because we are here. We are committed to see you grow in your walk with God. Amen? At this time, we're going to recite our confession of faith. This is our Christian worldview. This is how we see the world, society. It's through this lens. And that's why we want to get into the habit. We do it every single week because we want to declare it. We want to declare it over our lives, over our church, over the city, that this is what we stand on. Are you with me? Let's recite it on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. 
I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Spend some time meeting some awesome people. to be at church this morning make some noise come on so exciting to be in the house of the Lord with you we thank you all for joining us we welcome you to Metro Praise International on behalf of all of the leaders we thank you for choosing our church to worship the Lord this morning we cherish each and every one of you welcome 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 look to your neighbor say I'm so glad you came look to your other neighbor say I'll see you next week don't stop coming our services at MPI are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And then every Friday we have Elevate. 
at 7 p.m. for ages 11 to 18 years old. So that's our youth service. They're rocking it out for Jesus, winning their friends to the Lord. So if you know anybody in that age group, please invite them to be here Fridays at 7 p.m. This is a place for teenagers to be. At the end of the month, we're going to be having our MPI baptism. Come on. And barbecue. Baptisms. Oh, my gosh. I mean, seeing somebody come to the Lord and getting saved and then seeing them baptized is such an amazing powerful moment in somebody's life so we really want to encourage you guys invite your friends and family come on out we want to celebrate every single person who's making this decision this commitment to show their their commitment to the lord before the world and that's what they're going to be doing so august 30th at 10 a.m and 1 p.m both services it's going to be happening we want to see you guys all there here at mpi our vision is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. We want to do that with everything inside of us. And our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. Say connect. The way we want to connect you to our church and to Jesus is through our life groups. On the back of your handouts, if you look at it, that is our schedule for this whole quarter of where we're meeting, the, t the kind of life groups that we have, where and when they're meeting, Find a place to belong with your family. I really want to encourage those that are new that kind of just started coming around. Life groups is where it's at. Okay, we want you to get connected. Look to your neighbor say, get connected. Here's a snapshot of what's happening this week. Kicking it off on Wednesday, we have our King's Kids Life Group. Come on. Infant to 11 years old, you could bring your children here at 6.30. You could stay with them, or you can just drop them off, have some free time. That's what we have our Royal Rangers Boys Club and Impact Girls Club. They earn badges. They learn all about Jesus. It's just a powerful time for our kids. And then every Friday, we have two adult Bible studies happening for you guys. One is at the Govea's house, and the other one is at the Walker's house. It's for ages 18 years and up. 7 p.m. Child care is included for both. So there's no excuses. I can't find a babysitter. you got to be there. They take care of the kids. It's a powerful time. That's where you're going to build lasting friendships and connections in the church and get closer to Jesus. And then every Saturday we have our evangelism. All ages are welcome. They meet at the church every week at 5 p.m. and they hit the streets. I want to encourage you, if you've never done that and you're new, you got to do it. It's going to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. It's going to build and strengthen your faith. You may feel, hey, I don't know enough to really answer people's questions just go out there and do it all you need to know is that jesus loves you and you got to tell them if you don't know jesus and you're not born again you can't get to heaven that's it all the other weird questions they may ask you could save for another time but you got to tell people about god so i want to encourage you guys to do that even if you're scared look to your neighbor say don't be scared look to your other neighbor say it'll be okay all right and then we want to mentor you we have a 101 book called welcome to your new life our leaders are ready to take this journey with you according to your schedule, one-on-one. -on -one. So pick a leader to do this with. And then when you graduate 101, you'll get into our 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples. And this is where we train you to be a leader in the church, in the world around you. And then we want to send you out to keep winning souls for the Lord. And our goal at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and then 500 around the world. If you believe we can do that, say amen. I believe it by God's grace and power through his spirit. We will do it, and we're all a part of that number. We're all a part of that 100,000. So until the Lord comes back, we're going to be preaching, praying, and plugging away. Amen? Let's get ready to turn our attention to the lesson in the Disciples Giving book, Section 3, all about stewardship. Today's Lesson 6, Stewards Are to Be Wise. How many of you guys like wisdom? 
You know that wisdom comes from the Lord. So when we hide ourselves in him and we seek his face and humble ourselves, wisdom comes. The definition of stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. So we get an understanding that God wants us to manage well everything that is under our care. We're going to be reading in Luke 14, verses 42 through 44. You can follow along with us on the screen. Luke 14, 42 through 44 says, The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Jesus is coming back, y'all. we got to be doing what he told us to do. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. Here are the main three points of that scripture. Number one, stewardship parables. Jesus used parables, stories, about servants and masters and bosses and employees to teach us that if worldly people are rewarded for good stewardship, how much more will he reward us when we are wise and managing what he has given to us? So if your employer is going to reward you for being wise on your job, managing well what you do at your workplace, how much more is God going to hold us accountable and reward us when we take care of his business here on earth and do it well? Number two, wise stewards work when the master is gone. Somebody say, get busy. Jesus taught that the wise steward is to be obedient and manage all his possessions while he is in heaven. We need to be staying busy, doing the Lord's business, preaching the gospel, praying, preaching, uh, being kind to our neighbor, loving God, loving people, doing all that God has commanded to us, being wise with our finances, raising our children in the fear of the Lord. We need to remain busy here on earth, being about the Father's business, doing kingdom work, because he's coming back, and when he comes back, you don't want to be messing around and uh, not doing what he told you to do, right? So if the teacher leaves her classroom for a little bit and says, okay, children, please do your spelling words five times each. I'll be right back. When the teacher goes back in there and they're all throwing a party and running around in their rooms and flying out the windows, are we going to have a happy teacher or a mad teacher? It's the same thing. we got to get busy for the Lord. Number three, put in charge of all of his possessions. Jesus promised in all his stewardship parables that the wise manager will always be rewarded with more of heaven's treasures. Here's the summary. Be a wise steward with everything God has given you by keeping Jesus' commands. Let's apply this three ways. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income, and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, listen and obey Jesus' instructions concerning your finances. There's wisdom in the Lord. When we handle our money God's way, it's always going to work. Number three, be a wise steward that can be rewarded with more of Jesus' possessions. How many of you guys want that? Let's confess this over our life on the count of three. You guys ready? One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Let's stand up together this morning as we prepare to give the Lord our best our tithes and offerings. Again, Metro Praise International believes that a tithe is a 10% of your total income. Anything above that is considered an offering. That amount is between you and the Lord, which we designate towards missions and building fund. We give to various missions projects throughout the year, 
and currently we're in a building fund. You guys have all rallied together. We're doing this as a team, getting that lit up Metro Praise International Church signed to go across the building. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're more than halfway there. God is so good. You guys are awesome. Let's keep doing it, being faithful with all that God has given to us. And we want to let you guys know there's also two convenient ways for you to give or purchase items in the church using your credit or debit card. One is at our easy-to-use website, and the other one is uh, in the back with me or Pastor Griselda. You could see us if you have any questions about that. Let's recite this together. Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. For with a measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you've entrusted us, God, to be managers, to be wise stewards upon the earth. I pray that we will remain busy for your kingdom's sake, God, on this earth. That everything that we do, God, would, we would give you glory. That we would follow your commands, God. That we would be obedient. I pray that you bless the gift and the giver this morning. Meet our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And I pray your blessings and your prosperity and favor over their lives, on their job, and all that they do. I pray that we will all live generous lives, giving freely, being your hands and your feet, Jesus, until you come back. In your name we pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen. Please come forward as you give this morning and thank you for your generosity. sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and I once was lost but now I found was mine but now I see how we sing it amazing grace the amazing grace how sweet the sound I saved Save a wretch like me. And I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Come on, give it up for Jesus and amazing grace. Thank you so much. Good to have.
Adam back up on the guitar. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. As you guys are turning there, I want to tell you about something fun this Wednesday. We are doing the back to school bash here this Wednesday. So if you know anybody that would like to get some free school supplies, invite your community, invite your friends. Uh, you don't even have to stay if you're a parent. You can just drop them off. So I want to remind everybody, it's this Wednesday. Everybody say this Wednesday. Thank you. And if you have goodies you want to donate, this would be the time to do it. So if you want to spend 10 bucks at Walmart, get a bunch of pencils and stuff, you can still have time to drop it off. And I want to say thank you, MPI. Look at your neighbor and say thank you. Because yesterday we went to the west side. Could you put up those Facebook pictures? They're on Susie's page. West side. Everybody say west side. We went to the west side and did a back-to-school bash out there at Ohio Park. I want you to see some of these pictures. Thank you to everybody who went out there. Another youth group from a different church joined with us. Great testimony about that youth pastor. He was in Teen Challenge with Pastor Jared. Uh, when Pastor Jared was teaching there, now he's a youth pastor. And if you don't know what Teen Challenge is, that's a drug rehab. So he's come a long way. He brought his youth group out there. Uh, just look at some of these pictures. They set up in the park. You know, this park has been a very dangerous park, a lot of gangs. We actually got an award from the mayor by going out there and rebuilding the park. We did some community events out there. This is also where we go on Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving. So you can see, go through it quickly, please. We came out there. We set it up. We had a team of about 30. If you came to that outreach, would you stand up? Let's give our team a hand clap. Come on. Thank you. A lot of this is preparation. I don't know if we're on the right one, but you can go and check it out. There was tons of kids out there, tons of free food, giving them all school supplies. Thank you guys for doing that. How many can say grace? Amen. Because God has given us grace, we give it out to others. So come this Wednesday if you would like to have uh, some school supplies for your family. And then uh, this Sunday coming up next week, everybody go next week. It's probably like one of my most favorite times as being a pastor. It's like my Super Bowl Sunday. It's like my uh, Stanley Cup, okay? It's like the World Series for the Cubs, okay? It, it is that awesome. And by the way, I can't make fun of the Cubs anymore. I hear they're winning now, amen. Whoa, yes, Northsiders. Northside. No, we don't chant like that, do we? How, how do we chant for the Cubs? Go, Cubbies, go. How, what do we say? Go, Cubs, go. <laughs> Any White Sox fans here? Okay, so we do have some White Sox fans. Go Southsiders. Go South. Anywho, anywho, the bottom line is World Series, Stanley Cup, Super Bowls, Baptism Sundays for me, okay? So we're going to be having a shortened service, and then we'll be spending the majority of our time outside. Please pray for the weather that we can enjoy the barbecue. Those of you who are getting baptized, if you need some more information, talk to anybody in the church that's a leader. We'll help you with that, or my wife, or myself, uh, Pastor Berto. Basically, you just bring a change of clothes, all right? And we'll baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what's really cool about the way we do it in the summer is that we have the barbecue, so you can bring all your friends and family to get something to eat while you're getting baptized. That's what I call a baptism in barbecue Sunday. All right, are you guys with me in Ephesians chapter 2 as we're starting to lose the summer? Everybody go, oh, 
The summer of grace is coming to an end. That doesn't mean that grace stops. It's just been our sermon series for the whole summer. It's been about grace. And uh, already, you know, this last week it got down to the low 70s at night. Some places I think got even down to the 50s. Can't even believe it. So I just got two more messages left on grace. Today's message and next week's message. And next week's message, let me preface it, is going to be awesome for your friends and family who maybe don't have a close relationship relationship with Jesus. So really try to bring them. Let's pack this place out because I'm going to be talking about God's abundant grace and how he changes lives. And I think I might have some people from the congregation testify, tell their story. So it's going to be really inspiring. So please make sure you come and bring your friends. Uh, today's message is on the gifts of grace. Everybody say the gifts of grace. Thank you. And as always, through the whole summer, this has been our series text, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Let's just read it all together out loud. Could we do that? One, two, three. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And every week, I like to give you a new insight to this passage. If you've missed any of our weeks, they're online at the website, mpichurch.org. I think there's been about 10 or 11 of them so far. And this has been the sermon series passage where we read it every week, and then we go through another passage and learn a different lesson. But every week we say this, okay? And we've been talking about all the great things that Paul wrote here. But here's the thing I want you to hear today. Everybody say, in advance. I want to blow your mind right here. God knew you before you ever knew yourself. Not only did God know you before you had a conscious mind, God knew you before your parents knew you. God knew you before you were a twinkle in your dad's eye that one night after they went out and had some fun and listened to Art Kelly or Al Green, depending on what generation you're from. God knew you. Watch, it's going to get even better. God knew you so much in advance. God knew you before your grandparents knew your parents. God knew you before your great-great-great-grandparents knew your great-great-grandparents. All the way back to Adam and Eve, God knew you. God never learns anything. God never discovers anything. God already knows everything. When God created Adam and Eve, this is the mystery of why there is evil in the world. How many have ever wondered why there's evil in the world? Why do bad things happen to people? Well, you're going to get that here, so pay attention, please, carefully. God knew in advance you would exist when he created Adam and Eve, and he knew the choices that Adam and Eve and their descendants would make. He had a choice in himself to create a world of free will beings that would then freely choose to do evil, hurt each other, and then bring a curse upon the cosmos. Everybody say a curse in the cosmos. That means that things wouldn't operate properly because sin had entered into this realm, into this dimension, into this universe. That means that the storms would, would destroy the land. That means that animals would fight with each other. Is everybody tracking? So there would be natural evil, and then there would be man-created evil. Are you with me? Come on, somebody say amen. God knew in advance. He knew you. He knew me. 
He knew all of creation. Whenever the last baby is born and whenever judgment day comes and all of humanity has come upon this earth, God knows that end. He knew it then at the beginning. And here is what we learn about God's grace. He created us anyways. He created us knowing that there would be evil ushered in by the very first people he made. Now, sometimes we want to beat up Adam and Eve and say, oh, man, they blew it for us. But put yourself in their position. How long do you think it would take you and your husband, you and your wife, to eat the forbidden fruit? And maybe it wouldn't be the fruit. Maybe it would be an argument. Or maybe it would be pride. Or maybe it would be anger. The question is, how long, with you having free will, being in a perfect environment, do you think you could go until you made the wrong choice? Now, once again, God gave us a choice. Now, here's where we learn about the lesson of why there's evil in the world. Because at this point, some people say, well, ha, huh, I think I figured it out. I, I, I'm smarter than God. Let me, let, let me just see if I can put it all together here. Okay, so if God knew I, I was going to exist and evil was going to exist, and he knew that before I was going to exist, then, then why did he still create me and allow evil to happen? I'm so smart, I figured it out in five minutes. I solved the problem of the universe. I don't need a Bible. It's so funny. I go around college campuses, and they think they created this argument as if this is the first time it's ever happened to appear upon the planet. We as Christians have answered it from day one. Our first book answers it. Our first chapters answer this. The reason why he still went forward with it is it was it was worth it to him. Two options, if you could look at it. A world with evil, yet free creatures who could choose love, or a world of robots, no evil, no love. Does everybody get that? Those were his creative choices. God is not illogical. The Bible says what God can't do is lie, and God can't violate his character. So this also does away with a silly argument. If God's so powerful, can he create a rock that he can't lift? No, because God's not an idiot. God's not dumb. God doesn't break the laws of logic. He created them. Are you listening to me? Okay, so God really only had two options logically by his own principles. A world of free creatures, people who could choose... And in that world, there would eventually be evil. But at the same time, there would be love, and it would be freely chosen. People would freely choose to love each other, their family, their children, husband, wife. People could freely choose to love their God. Or there could be a world where evil never existed, but because evil never existed, choice to love would never exist. And therefore, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't be conscious creatures. We would be computer programs. We would be like those people who go online and create those women and uh, things to have a relationship with online. Have anybody ever seen that before? Or, you know, these kind of sick people that go online and fall in love with the creation of their, own, of their own choice. And now it's actually happening with men making robots to fall in love. And there was actually a movie just came out about Don't you all act like you don't know about sci-fi crazy stuff. You all know what I'm talking about. You know our world is crazy. But people would fall in love with their doll, their robot. That's all we would be to God is that robot. Hello. Everybody's saying advance. But in advance, look at what it cost Jesus to go through with this plan of free will creatures. It cost his son to come and die on the cross. So grace was already a part of the plan before you were ever on this planet. 
How much more should you and I know that God loves us despite the mistakes we make today? God already knew the human race would make the biggest of mistakes. God already knew that people would turn away from him. God already knew that Hitlers would do hideous things. But he counted the cost and said, if I can have a planet of free will creatures and some go crazy and some treat each other bad, but in the midst of that, I can save them, I can heal them, and then they can freely choose me for eternity. I will choose grace instead of pre-programmed robots. And now this is where I have to say something, and this may only uh, uh, really speak to a few of you here that know your theological A's and B's and C's. And what I mean by that, if you've been around a little bit theologically, you know that there's a group of Christians that go by the name of Calvinists. And, and so what they believe as they look at the world and how it's had evil and so forth, they believe that God just predestined it all, that it was always God's plan. And, and so God wanted the sin to come so the Savior could come, and then he only picks and chooses in this world who is saved and those who doesn't pick are then lost and those he wants to save he gives them something called irresistible grace and that means they get drawn like a magnet to him and those he doesn't draw those are chosen for damnation and the nickname is they're doomed from the womb that means God never chose them it was pre-planned for them to go to hell isn't that a sad doctrine to believe Isn't that something that no true Christian really should believe? And even though I know Christians can believe that, it is a false teaching. And here's how I want you to understand it. Grace cannot be irresistible. God would not be a God of giving, a God of grace, if he forced it on you. What if I came to your house and I forced a birthday present upon you or I forced a ride upon you, said you're coming with me in the car, or I forced food in your mouth? Is that now really a gift? If I force it on you. So don't fall into this fatalistic idea that some Christians have believed that if God wants to save me, he'll just save me then. And if he doesn't want to save me, then he'll let me go to hell. So, sirrah, sirrah, let it be, let it be. Whatever way it goes, it's always up to him anyways. No, God gave us the choice. He offers a gift, and he knew in advance what you would do, and he's letting you choose it. This is the difference. I believe in foreknowledge, not in irresistible grace, meaning God knows the end of the game. God knows the end of the the World Series, but God is still letting free creatures play their game, choose their players, and letting us make our own decisions. And at the end, whether we go to heaven or hell, even if he knew it in advance, it doesn't mean he sent us there. He just let it play out because on that judgment day, he'll say, did I not give you the choice? Did I not have these options for you? Now, some at this point may say, if he knew that I then wouldn't choose him, why did he ever let me to be, be created and just not create me and let me go to hell? If that would have been God's prerogative, God would have then did a disservice to you because then you never would have existed. And he is the creator, and he gave you existence as a gift. So though you haven't chosen the existence, it is given to you by a creator. Now you're responsible for what you do with it. It is given to you. So if you do not want to exist in his presence, which is really called life, you will suffer an eternal death called hell. And so you may say, I got a bum rap by being in the existence, but you are here now and it is a gift and you really choose heaven or hell. That's what you do with the gift. You choose where you place it. And where do you want your soul to be, students? Do you want it to be in heaven or hell? Amen. So in advance, God created you for a plan and a purpose. 
He wants you to choose him today, and he has a plan to use your life for his glory. Can I get an amen? amen. Wasn't that deep? Hope I didn't lose some of you guys on that. Hope you got it. Can you guys scroll down for me? I want to give you the definition of grace as we're going through it uh, each week. Just a few more weeks, and we'll have moved on to another sermon series. But I want you to see that grace is God's undeserved favor, love, help, and enablement made available through Jesus Christ, given to believers by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because of God's grace, we can experience his what? Mercy. What else? Forgiveness. And what else? The power to fulfill God's purposes for our lives. That's grace. Now, let's talk about the gifts that God's grace gives us. Can you turn with me to Romans 12, verse 3? That was a little bit of deepness at the beginning, right? We got a little theological. Now you understand God is a creator. He creates. That's his prerogative. That gives him free will. And I didn't have a chance to say this, but let me say this. If God would not have a choice to create or not create, based upon your decision to be created, then he would not be all-powerful. That is why it starts with his choice to create, and then now you have the gift of existence to choose where you'll be. Does everybody get that? So if somebody going back to that said, well, why did he create me if he knew I would go to hell? Because he is a creator, an all-powerful one, and he decides what he does in creation. So he decides. Because if he couldn't decide, you decided, I don't want to be created, you know what I'm saying? Let's say you're going to hell, and you're like, I wish you never would have created me. Now you are over him. That's why the creator has the ultimate choice. So we appeared here by his choice. That was his choice. That is the prerogative of God. Now the gift has been given to us called life. We decide what place we put it in, eternal life or eternal damnation. hope that clarified that. Romans 12, verse 3, if you're there, say I'm there. Some of you are like, mm, I'm going to think about that. Yes, think about that. Look at this verse here. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. So how many people is Paul speaking to right now? Every one of you. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you. Look at your other neighbor and say he's really talking to you. <laughs> I really needed to. Come on. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to you. Today we're going to talk about your God-given talents, the abilities that you have. Now, it's up to you how you use those abilities, but the deposit of those abilities was a gift from God. You know, some people are naturally gifted in different areas, and others are not. Some of us are gifted to sing, and some of us are not. I am one of those that are on the not category. So you're probably happy today that I didn't lead worship, because it would sound like, oh, may sing grace. Or, or maybe like, what's that one, one guy? It's a wonderful world. Maybe it'll sound a little bit like that. I see stars bright. I don't even know the words there, but anyways. Who is that guy? Who's the guy that sings that? Louis Armstrong. But anyways, aren't you happy I didn't sing today? Yes, you are. And so there are people that are gifted with mechanics, uh, mechanical things and building things. And every time I get around those people to have them fix something, they always want to show me how they're fixing it and teach me how to do it. And then I go, if you teach me how to do it, you'll, you won't have a job anymore. So I want you to do it so I don't have to do it, you know. And I know that sounds a little bit sassy, but really it's like mechanical things drive me crazy. You Building things drives me crazy. But you know what I like to do? I like to write books. So if you took a guy who likes to work with his hands and mechanics and build stuff and you put him at a computer for 12 hours typing, he'll go crazy. And then you put a guy like me inside of a, a, a new construction project, I'll go crazy and probably injure all of us there. 
I remember one time working downtown doing scaffolding, which I don't know how that happened, but God had to test my faith. So I'm downtown working on scaffolding, walking on beams that are about like this wide, really high up in the air. And literally, I almost fell to my death like three or four times. And I, I promise you, I kid not, I almost had one of those cartoon situations where you step on the plank and it goes boom right into your face. Like literally, I stepped on it and it started coming up. I was like, whoa, and I had to come back. It was just so sketchy to the point where the other people I was working with, they were like, okay, you go first. You just go first. They wouldn't even want to be on the thing with me. They'd be like, you cross here and you go up there. We'll meet you right there. Because they, they were like, we don't want to die today, dude. We don't want to fall off this 30-foot scaffolding. And once again, aren't you happy that people get up on scaffolding and do that? Have you guys ever seen those window cleaners downtown on the big buildings? Or these, some of these videos that you see, like the people changing the light bulb on those like 500-foot towers? Man, isn't that crazy? They take an elevator, then they walk up a ladder, and then they walk up like literally a pole just like that with these little things sticking out. It's like, dude, how do you do it? But they do it. And then there's people like there's people who's like, yeah, I'll do that. But then there's other people who are nurses. And you know, nurses, we got to give them a lot of props because they have to clean the dookie and all of that stuff. And you know what I'm talking about and put the catheters in and they got to do all that stuff. And there's just some people like, no, 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 no. You will urinate on yourself before I will put a catheter in you. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and my parents, they know this about me. You know, some of you, you come from cultures where, you know, your parents are already considering they're going to live with you at some point in your life. No, my parents are like, no, we're going to a nursing home. We're not moving in with Joe. We're good. We're going to get a nursing home right down the road. We're good. Uh, they, they always say that for two reasons. Number one, I would not know what I'm doing. Things would probably go in the wrong place. And then number two, num number two is they, they, they say I may pay them back for all the problems, uh, all the spankings and all the things that I got. You know what I'm saying? Wheeling mom down the stairs. Oops. You know. But, but, the, but there are somebody that, I mean, seriously, my, and talking about my mother, my mother was a nurse's aide. She did this, took care of people in the nursing home. Nurses, you know, taking care of all those things. And then you just go down the line. Every job is, it has a purpose, you know. The guy who picks up the garbage, aren't you happy that somebody picks up the garbage? I knew a pastor that picked up the garbage. That's what he did, and he loved his job. Has anybody ever seen a Undercover Boss where people go around and you see people loving jobs? People got to clean porta-potties. How many are happy for porta-potties? How many have ever been at a concert or a festival and you're like, oh my God, I gotta go to the bathroom? And then you're like, I'll pee on myself. And they're like, there's a porta potty. How many are happy there's a porta potty there? Now, somebody has to clean the porta potty. Most of the time when I get in there, it is like at the end of the night, that thing is so trashed. It is an outhouse. And, and I am thankful to God I don't have to come in there. And I've actually seen an undercover boss show how they clean it. They're taking a big hose, they suck up everything. And I'm so glad I don't have to do that, right? How many are happy? You don't have to do that, but you're happy somebody does. And then they come in there with a big water hose. <laughs> and just spray that thing down with disinfectant and all of that. Everybody say, don't think of yourself more highly than you are. Let's make it simple. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be stuck up. Why is that? Thank you. Why is that? Why shouldn't we think of ourselves more highly than, our, than we ought? Is because everything that we do has been distributed to us by God. Everything has come to us from God. The one who naturally likes heights, that was a gift from God. The one who naturally likes to help people, like a nurse, that comes from God. And we don't even have time to talk about all the other things. Aren't you happy there's people who can do your taxes? They like numbers. Oh, my goodness. We're going to save you $15 on this one. I mean, aren't you happy for that guy? I mean, you're happy for that woman. Whoever. You're happy. 
Aren't you happy for doctors? Some of you, if you saw the sight of blood, you would pass out. But how many are happy that there's guys who can look at your heart and beating and all of that, and they can switch out arteries, and they're not even batting an eye. They're not even nervous. You know, I love watching those shows. Like, you remember, it used to be more popular. It was like on one of those uh, cable networks, it'll show the surgeries. I literally, every time I get my teeth done, I always say, I wish you had a, a big old mirror so I could see what you were grinding away at. Now, most people would not want to do that. Most people are just like, knock me out, put me down. But I'm like, no, I want to see it. <laughs> Cutting up my teeth and all that, putting the, the big old needle in there. Let me see how that looks. Because that needle is so long, but my jaw is so small. Where does it go, you know? I want to see where that thing goes. I don't know if you ever thought about that. So what we're going to talk about today is our gifts and our talents and how God gave them to us by his grace. But the first thing that we need to learn is we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Now, I love picking on Donald Trump because most of my congregation does not like Donald Trump. And if you like him, that's okay. We'll pray for you. But... Um, you know, we, we really need him to get a wake-up call and how to treat people with respect and all this. But I, I love using him as an example because it shows the, the, the pride in all of us. You know, if we're not careful, we can use our gifts to put other people down. And we all know Donald Trump has done that. He's put down the immigrant population, those who have come here and have been great citizens in America. We understand that he's treated them unfairly, and he thinks of himself more highly than he's ought. He's ought to. And I see people reminding him that he came from an immigrant family a few generations ago, and they had to start from the bottom to the top, and there's all these things that show that his mindset is hypocritical. But I want to ask you something. Do you ever act like Donald Trump in your job with your gifts? Like, let's say you're at a place where there's a secretary and you're one of the executives. Do you walk by that secretary just being like, yo, what's up? You know, I'm so awesome. You got my messages, you know? Or do you, do you treat a person like that, you know? Or maybe, like my brother, you do roofing, right? My brother does roofing. And uh, you're the big guy on the totem pole. You get to stand up there and just knock down the shingles the whole time. And you have the little runt like me, like when I used to work with them, carry up the shingles and don't tell the little runt like me that there's a way to actually hoist it up with a rope. But you want to punish that little guy. And that's what I would do during the summer or when I would work with them. You know, I'm talking about I'm walking up with shingles up this thing. See, that's, that's a man or a person thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to. Do you use your God-given gifts to put others down? See, Paul is not just speaking to Donald Trump's. He's speaking to everyone. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. That means you know who you are. You know I'm just a creation of God here on this planet for a short period of time with some gifts that he's given me, and that can be taken just like that. It can all go away. The faith that God has distributed to each of us. So I need to think about God gave me the gift and distributed it to me and gave me the faith to operate in it. Everybody say preach. preach. Now let's go on to this list and see the gifts that he gives us and how to look at it. For just as each one, uh, for just as each one of us has a body with many members, how many have a body? How many have many members of your body? That means many parts, right? you got fingers, uh, ear, hair, and all of the nose and all of this. Hair probably wouldn't be part of your body, but it comes from your body. You know what I'm saying. And it says, uh, you know, you have one body with many members. These members do not all have the same function. How many are glad that all your members don't have the same function? How many know if you peed out of your finger, that would get gross after a while, right? Just pssst. 
I'm just peeing right now. I'm just peeing. I don't mean to be gross. I just want to just give this example. I don't know why it had to be that one, but, you know. Or how many think it would be weird, like, if you heard from your finger. So you're like, no, I can't hear you. Speak to my finger, you know. Like, oh, hey, you know, that would just be weird. You know, and, and I could get even more gross, but praise God, I won't. I do have a little bit of sense. But this is the point that you're not walking on your hands because your hands do something different than your feet and vice versa. You don't hear with your finger, and you don't try to pick up things with your ear. You know, you're not trying to pick up your food and eat it out of, you know, with your ear. And that's what the Bible's saying. We all have a body. We all have a body, you know, and in that body we all have different parts, different members, and they don't have the same function. Now look at the application here, verse 5. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts, and that is the Greek word charismata. Everybody say charismata. According to the grace, charis, everybody say charis, thank you, given to us. So we have gifts, charismata, that's the plural form of gifts, charismata, and it comes from charis. And you can see charis is a root of charismata. So what does that mean? Grace and gifts go hand in hand. Grace gives gifts. Grace gives us gifts. Isn't that awesome? It's right there in the language. Now, I want you to see how we as the body of Christ can all give each other gifts. Let's all stand up together. Everybody stand up. And we're going to pull out our spirit fingers. Is everybody ready to get some spirit fingers? Okay, everybody raise up both of your hands and go, spirit fingers! Jazz hands! Don't fail me now! Okay, now everybody turn to your left, my right, this direction, and give your neighbor a shoulder rug. Come on, with those jazz hands and spirit fingers. Come on. See, we're helping each other. I know it's weird if it's a girl and a guy, but just be Christian-like. Okay, everybody face forward. Wave your fingers in the air. Spirit fingers. Jazz hands. Don't fail me now. Now go to the other side. Give somebody a shoulder rub. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll receive a few more. Oh, bro, you got some skill. Ain't no shame in the game. All right, you may be seated. Thank you, sir. You got some. Definitely got some jazz hands there. When you, when you think about how we cooperate, we get things accomplished. The example that the uh, passage is giving us is that of a body. And now Paul says that's what the body of Christ is like. And another name for the body of Christ is the church. Everybody say the church. Thank you. So we look at our body and we see an example of what the body of Christ looks like. And in other passages, like Ephesians, we are told that Christ is the head of the church. So no one gets to be the head except Jesus. Now from that point on, everyone is put into their place by God. I don't put you in your place. God puts you in your place. If you forget, I'll help you. No, I'm just kidding. Half kid. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. It just got weird real quick. But, you know, pastors have got to do that sometimes. This is your place. Let me put you. No, but it's like that's not our intention. Our intention as pastors is to find out what gift you have and help you to find your place in the local church. So there's two ways to look at the church, by the way. There's the universal church. That's the Christians all over this city, all over the state, all over the country, all over the world, and all generations before us. Everybody say the universal church. 
How many of you have Christians on your job that go to other churches or in your family or neighbors? Aren't you thankful that we're not the only ones? Amen? And have you ever traveled, been around the world and seen other Christians or in other countries or in other states, right? We have people from all over the world here. Aren't you happy? Once again, you're not the only one. Now, the way we can look at that is universal, and then everybody say local. So then now we are here together in one location. We are not the other churches of Chicago. We are here personally, and so we have a place to function here. So you could look at like uh, the universal church. Maybe the arm is the Church of America, and then the feet are the Church of Brazil. You know, you could get an illustration like that. But now when you reduce it to a city, then maybe you look at it a little bit different. Maybe the hand is, you know, New Life Covenant, and the foot is Metro praise and and the ear is uh you know uh, armitage baptist etc is everybody getting where i'm going here okay and then you get really localized to this congregation metro praise and then you see people here in the church that are like the hands of christ those who are like the feet of christ and you know the illustration could go to a point where it gets silly like i'm the intestine of christ i deal with all the poo-poo of the church you know sometimes people get the attitude like that like administrator we have a beautiful, awesome, gifted administrator. Give it up for Griselda. She doesn't have to deal with any of that stuff. But sometimes you'll see people in the church and be like, I'm just the intestine. I'm the kidney of the church. I have to deal with everybody's problems. It's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. How, you know, how many know that God put us in a great place in the body? Amen. And so you should be happy that you're there. Now, not only do, do I want to apply this to the church so you guys can all be like, yeah, I know how to get along in the church today. That was a great message. But I want to make this really practical to how you get along in life because there's roles that you play in your, your family. There's roles that you play on your job. And, and so as you're learning it for the church, apply it to the different places of your life because, you know, as, as, as you've probably seen on your job, if everybody's the chief and there's not a lot of Indians, nothing's get done, right, and everybody's arguing. So there needs to be an order. There needs to be a, a functioning, and, and everybody does their part. And, and you look at big corporations. You know, everybody has their part to play, and if they treat each other with respect, not thinking of themselves more highly than they ought, then they can be effective. Can I hear an amen? So you can see it like this. As it is in heaven, so it is in on earth. As the principles are in the kingdom of God, so are the principles in the kingdom of this earth. So apply it to your life, okay? So now we're going to learn these seven gifts that Paul lists for the practical purpose of the church because obviously the church is important. And let me say it to you as I was taught by my dad, okay? My children are growing up as pastor's kids, PKs, but I did not grow up as that. I grew up as a BK, a businessman's kid, okay? And, uh, you know, I grew up with a father that was in business. He owned his own business. He had employees. He owned different properties. You know, that's the father that I grew up with. And let me tell you something about my dad. This is what he taught me. When I put God first and his business first, he'll always take care of my business. So I didn't grow up seeing somebody cheat the church or, uh, you know, uh, like a pastor being shady. And now I'm shady. And we're, you know, doing shady business, like a shady family business. No, I grew up watching a father who got no money from the 
the church, who never got anything back monetarily from the church, but loved to give to the church. Drove buses himself. A businessman drove buses when they were picking up inner city kids. Led the youth group when the church needed a youth pastor. Played drums when they needed a drummer. Uh, had life group in his house and was always joyfully doing it. One of the memories that I have of my mother serving in the church was her taking me to the church. She said, you bring your skateboard because you're going to be there for a while. And I go, Mom, it's a Saturday. What are we doing? She says, you'll find out when we get there. And she literally had four garbage bags, and she went around the entire church and filled them up with weeds. She went on her hands and knees and picked the weeds, and she let me skateboard, and I feel really bad about that now as I tell the story. But that's what I did, and, uh, you know, that's how I grew up. That's you, you didn't think of the church as a place that was trying to use you. You looked at a, pla at a place that uh, it was trying to help you. Now, if you've ever come from a church where they stole, lie, or used you, then on behalf of them, let me ask for your forgiveness, okay? But you're not in a church like that. You're not in a church that's trying to lord it over you. We're in a church that's trying to help the community. And when we work together, when we give together, we can serve, okay? And, and I'm so happy that I do get to make a living from the church. But God is my witness in time in the past is my... Is my uh, uh, not, not, God is my witness, and the time in the past is my proof that I didn't do it for money because no one paid me for the first five years. Are you listening? I, I, I didn't do it for money. It happened to come over time, but I made a dedication before there was money involved. And aren't you happy you can pay a pastor and have someone attend to your needs and work with all the leaders? Can I get an amen? And let me just say this. One of the blessings right now is the new Bible college pastors that we have, and they're coming, uh, the graduates, and I always ask them to try to give five years, and we'll see if we can start paying them. And now, Pastor Berto and Griselda, we are now able to start paying their cell phone bill, and we're going to start paying other bills until we can put them on salary as well. How many want to believe God for that? Amen? They're the best. And... Uh, you know, this is just giving some facts of the church, but my wife and I have been able to donate two vehicles to the church, the, the station wagon and the minivan, and the church gets to use that, and now I see them using it for other purposes as well. And it's just like we, we give, we give, uh, we receive to give it away, right? When, we, when it goes to us, it should go through us. So I want to just say that now because w when we talk about you being leaders in the church and doing these things in the church, I don't want you to think like someone's trying to use you and get one over on you. What we're trying to say is let's do something great for God. Here's another quick testimony. Uh, David and Amy, would you stand up, please? I want to tell you real quick. They just did a vigil in the park yesterday for the gang member who died a, a few months ago and led it and gave out food and took care of the people that lost their son. Can we give it up for David and Amy? Amen. Thank you. You see... Why, why did they do a vigil in the park for the young man that got murdered a few months ago? Because they have a heart to give back. And there was volunteers that did that. So just think about this. Yesterday, just yesterday, there was a group that went to the west side giving out school supplies to the children. And then there was another group that went to West Park with the family. We organized it for them, the, the team did, to do a vigil for the gangbangers. That was all just one day. Can somebody say amen? That's why we do what we do. And then let me preface with this. As well as these being spiritual gifts, they're also practical gifts everywhere you go. All these can be used everywhere you go. Are you ready to learn the gifts? Come on, somebody say, I'm ready. Here they go. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. We'll talk about that in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, somebody say do it cheerfully. 
Everybody put a smile on your face. Aren't you happy to be in church this morning? Amen. Here are the seven gifts, the practical gifts that Paul lists in this passage that God gives us by his grace. Prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and mercy. Everybody say mercy. Now, just real quick, before I even start to speak on these, I'm going to look through the list quickly here again. But get out a piece of paper or your phone and write down the top two that speak to you just right now. If you don't know what prophesying is, that's okay. We'll get to that in just a moment. But those of you who can pretty much understand the rest, prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy, what are your top two that just stick out to you and go, man, that's something I think God gave me. I think God made me an encourager. I always love to encourage people. I think God made me a server. I always got to help people and serve people. I just love to do it. Leading, showing mercy. Which two of these just stick out to you? Because this is what I want you to think about. God gave these to you for the church and for the community you live in. Two things, church, community. And family would be a part of that community as well, considered a community. Let's look at them quickly, and let's learn how to apply these to our life. Number one, prophesying, which seems a bit out of place here because the rest of them really don't rely upon us having a church experience or a, a hyper-spiritual experience. You know, you can serve uh, and not be in church. You can do all these other things and not be in church. But prophesying, if you're thinking of it that way, means more than just in church. So let me explain to you what it is. Prophesying, watch this, is speaking the heart of God to the heart of people so it strengthens and courage and comforts their soul. Isn't that cool? And then when Paul, see right here is seven practical gifts, but Paul gives in another place nine spiritual gifts. In those nine spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, this one is the favorite one of Paul. He says, I think this is the best one. And that's why in our church we have a time for people to prophesy. In our prayer time, they will stop, we'll stop as a church, and people here who are gifted will stop and, and ask God, is there anything in your heart that you want me to share with their heart that will encourage or strengthen or comfort their soul? And you heard one from Pastor Berto today. And Pastor Berto gave that word. But guess what? This is also very practical. When you're on your job, you don't have to close your eyes and start to cry and say, God is telling me he loves everybody here at Dunder Mifflin. He really cares about you here. No, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be a weirdy like that. But you know what you can do if you see your coworker having a bad day? You can walk over to them and say, hey, can I take you out to lunch today? Now, why are you taking them out to lunch? Because God spoke to you about them. Do you have to tell them, well, God told me to take you out to lunch. That's why I'm doing it. If he didn't tell me, I wouldn't do it because I don't really like you that much. No, you're, you're, just, you're just doing it naturally. But you know as a Christian that God's speaking his heart to you. Try it sometime. Really try it. I'm being honest with you. Open up your heart on your job and see how you can share God's heart when you're there. Some of you may really have the gift to do that. 
Now, all of us can tap into these things. Obviously, everybody's supposed to serve. Everybody's supposed to be merciful. I mean, God, uh, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be given mercy. But I want you to think about these as kind of like we may all do them, but there are some that we'll do a lot and we'll love to do and just be passionate about. Does everybody get the difference between like sometimes I do it and sometimes I don't? But there are things that I do all the time. Like, like for example, if you are this kind of person who has that heart to prophesy and share your heart, you're going to do it on the bus. You're, you're going to just, you're sitting next to somebody, oh, hey, how's your day going? Oh, okay, this is how my day's going. And then all of a sudden God goes, I want you to tell them that I love them and that, that they're not alone. And you'll be like, okay, cool. Hey, I just want to tell you you're not alone. And you know, people will do that. I have a great man in our church, David Montes, who is a sergeant in the military, master sergeant, leads boot camps, is, a, is just an awesome, he's a bad man, but jam, I do not want to mess with this dude. He tells me an awesome story of when he first moved to Georgia, because that's where he's at right now on base there, that a person in the grocery store spoke a word to him that made sense, that gave him direction about how to plug into a church and do things while he was in Georgia. Now, of course, be careful to what you hear other people saying. God is saying, run it by your church, good leaders. But I thank God for a woman in a grocery store that had God's heart for one of our precious leaders who just moved from his family, his church, and was doing something very new. God had a word for him in the grocery store. See, can't God do stuff like that? Do you know that right now I'm doing a paper for my doctorate, and it's basically titled, Where Was Jesus? And this is what we do in doctoral classes. We get to study a lot of the things that most people don't have time to do. So you know what I'm doing? There's about 250 events in Jesus' ministry, the three years, and I'm going through each and every one of them, and I'm categorizing in three places where Jesus was. Number one, was he in a religious place, like a synagogue or a temple? Number two, was he in a private place, like a home or a rented room, like in the upper room when they had the, uh, the last supper or number three was he in a public place like a mountainside a seashore guess what I'm almost halfway through Jesus's life almost 70 events and where do you think right now has 80 percent of where Jesus spent most of his time where do you think that was a religious place a private place or a public place public Jesus is at the well talking to the woman who's drawing water. Jesus is by the pool of Bethesda, like the uh, Millennium Park Park, where we just, Millennium Park uh, pool, not the pool, the little thing where they skirt out the water, and the kids, we were just there. That's like the pool of Bethesda. Jesus was at a place like that, healing people. Jesus was by the Lake Michigan, the Sea of Galilee. Are you guys with me? That was our Jesus. So you should be able to do this no matter what. And then those of you who are gifted in this, don't think of yourself better than those who do the serving stuff and more behind-the-scenes stuff because they're just as awesome too. Here's the advice I give you. Prophesy in faith. It may take a little bit of courage. You may feel embarrassed. And you know what? It's okay if sometimes you miss God. I have missed God. I mean, come on, I pastor this church and preach here week after week. And so many times I mess it up or say something wrong. But God is so gracious, amen? He prepared this in advance for me to do. He already knew my mistakes, and he still loved me and gave me the chance to serve. Everybody say serving. That brings us to the next one. Everybody knows what that is. That means to help people, to give to people, to assist them, to benefit them. 
How many here did it, wrote that down? That's you. And you know what? And I love people like that. People who come into the church like that, I can see this is a part of their DNA, and it's not even something that we have to teach them. They're already doing it. They're saying, hey, can I grab a vacuum cleaner and just stay late with you guys? And we're like, dude, you're a first-time visitor. But, yeah, I just want to help. Yeah, I just want to help. See, it's totally opposite here. Please, if you've been a part of churches, listen, it's totally opposite. Maybe you've been to a church where they're like, listen, nobody cleans around here anymore. Who's going to clean? That is not the way it is here. The way it is in our church, literally, people are asking, can I help out and clean? Can I come early? Every, just every day, I'm meeting new people that want to help out. This young man right here, could you stand up? And What's your name? Let's give Jamal a hand clap. Come on. He came early today and was helping. Did anybody make you come early? No. What made you want to come early? And I don't want to embarrass you, but what made you want to come early? I spent the night at Woody House, and I came early. Came, you spent the night at his house, and he comes early. Did anybody make, who's Rudy, did you both spend the night there? Let's give it up for Brian. Let's have, you, you stand up. Both of you, come on, stand up. Look at these men. Come on, look at these guys. Look at this. Look at this. They spent the night at Rudy's house. Now, you started coming early, and it blew my mind. Like, whoa, Brian's here. That's what I'm saying. Every week I'm coming out, it's Brian, and now it's Daryl, right? Shamal. See? This is why you have to pray for your pastor. I don't even know where I got Daryl from. Maybe the office. I was watching that last night. Shamal. That's a beautiful name. Did anybody make you come early and say start cleaning up, setting up the flags out there? How many like the flags when you come in? Isn't that awesome? Did, did anybody tell you to do that? No. What made you want to come in early and do that? I just wanted to serve. Come on. Let's give it up for these brothers. That's what I'm talking about. You just want to help out. That's a gift of serving. That's a gift of serving. Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 11, that these will be the greatest in our church. These will be the ones that are the greatest. He said the servants are the greatest. How should we serve? Here's some advice for that. Serve like Jesus. We gave you the applause today because we love and honor you, but serve even when you don't get the applause. You know, sometimes I come to the church and things weren't done the night before and I got to get out there and do it. Nobody's applauding and saying, well, that's so awesome, Pastor, you're cleaning. No, it's just got to get done. And now, right, apply, uh, apply this to your life. Apply this to your job. What place do you think you work at when they're like, they're going to tell you, no, don't serve here. Don't go the extra mile for the customer here. Does anybody even work for a job like that? If you do, I pity you and your company because it's going down fast. You'll be working for one of the other companies that does it because that is a principle of life, is it not? Serve. Go the extra mile and do it like Jesus. Number three, everybody say Teach. You know, you can tell teachers, man. Teachers are just people who always got to share what they know and talk about what they know and tell everybody what they know. And that's a good thing because I'm glad for teachers because I'm one of them. You know, if you're with me and you're hanging out, like every, like I'm totally like the buzzkill at the house party, you know. Like everybody's just hanging out. Like you just yesterday, perfect example, we're at Isha's house for uh, only seven, not Isha's, um, Sienski's house, uh, Andrew's house for um only seventh uh, birthday, we're all hanging out, and before you know it, we're talking church business, and we're talking this, and, we're, and, we're, and I'm teaching this, and I'm going deep on this, because that's just in me. It's like if you told me, don't teach, don't help, don't instruct, like that would be torture to me. Seriously, and if you told this young man, don't help, don't serve, just let everybody serve you, that would be torture for him, because we're made like this. God made us like this, and the beautiful thing about the church is God brings it out, amen? And so how should we teach? We should teach passionately, gently, and truthfully.
Whatever you're doing in life where you can teach others, those of you who are gifted like this, do it like that. Do it passionately. Do it because you want to. You know, my wife, she's a natural teacher. She started working at the bank as a bank teller. Within a few years, she was training the bank tellers. How many can say amen to that? Why is that? Because she's a teacher. When we were out hanging out at Marcel's house, David said, I love when you come up and do your teaching part because he was blessed by it. She's a gifted teacher. That comes naturally. People can see it. Well, others of you, it's the same thing. It's a natural ability. Do it the right way. Let God use you, and you'll change the world one person at a time. Every time you teach somebody something they didn't know, you've changed the world. I know it may not feel like that, but you really have. You changed somebody's world. The next thing, everybody say encouraging. Amen. Let's get Vinny to come to the keys quickly here in closing. Encouraging. This means to fill people with God's courage. You know, encourage means to give courage, infuse with courage, boldness. How should we encourage people? We should encourage them often and consistently. How many think parents should encourage their children? How many think husbands and wives should encourage each other? How many think pastors and leaders should encourage the church? How many think church people should encourage their leaders? How many think employees should encourage their bosses? Bosses encourage their employees. Encourage your customers. Encourage them. Encourage them. Don't just sell them products. Encourage them. Help them do things better. Give them boldness. You know, whatever place you find yourself in life, everybody can use encouragement. And what you'll see, those of you who are gifted with encouragement, is you'll see that people are drawn to you. People will come back to you. They'll request you. They'll want to be with you. Why? Because every time they're with you, they leave feeling better. See, an encourager makes someone feel better after they've been with them. And how many of us love encouragement? Right? So we should always do that, even as Christians. We should be encouragers. The next one, giving. You know, givers. How many are givers? You just love to help. Amen. You just love to give. I love that about Marcel. I don't know. It was within a few months. Marcel, can you stand up? Within a few months, we were giving away some bikes at a Christmas uh, gi gi uh, giveaway for our young people. And how many bikes on your own did you bring? Four? And I come on up here. You've got to tell the story. Just tell it briefly about why you did it. Do you know the story about your mom and how you grew up? Well, I grew up really poor, and I didn't have a bike growing up. And when I finally got one, I was like a teenager, and I was only allowed to ride around in uh, my mom's cul-de-sac. So I remember growing up that I just want everyone to have a bike because it's awesome. Come on. <laughs> Amen. And they brought four bikes. They, they didn't... They didn't wait for somebody to say, let's raise four bikes. Who's got $25, $25, $50? Let's raise the money. Let's raise the money. Come on, come on, come on. You can't leave here until we raise the money for four bikes. They just on their own. See, givers are like that. Givers are like, they just give. It comes naturally. It's just here, here, let's, let's give four bikes. Now, listen, giving may come naturally, but doesn't mean it comes without sacrifice. Sometimes we look at givers, oh, they just have more money than everybody. That's not true. My dad was a giver for many years, and he didn't have more money than hardly anybody because his businesses weren't doing good. But he was a giver. He had to give to do what God told him to do. How should we give? Paul says give generously. Give cheerfully. Give because you want to. And those of us who give, we know that the reward really comes back to us as well. That goodwill feeling, as they call it, that, that, that sense of I'm giving back. There's nothing like it. Everybody say leading. Yeah, somebody has to be in charge, right? Someone has to call the shots. 
leaders. We shouldn't be dom domineering. We shouldn't be uh, dictators. We should manage. We should oversee. We should guide. And how should we do it? We should do it in righteousness. The Bible says when the wicked rule the land, everybody mourns. Oh, my gosh, this fool is ruling, my, ruling this job and ruining it, ruling our country, ruining it. When the wicked are in charge, nobody's happy. But when the righteous are in charge, the city rejoices. The people are excited. The students in the class are happy they have that teacher. You see, no matter where you're overseeing, managing, guiding, when you do it right, people will be happy to follow you. Now, sometimes you have to fire to get the right people in there. Sometimes you've got to make tough decisions, leaders, and I want to speak to you as another fellow leader. It's not always easy doing the right thing, but we should always treat people the way we want to be treated. When I've had to give tough discussions and rebukes, I want to look at them as my own father, my own mother, my own brother, sister. How would I do this in my family? Or, or if I had to fire or let somebody go, how would I want this done in my family? Because you know that person's going to go home that day, sit around their table and say, I had a tough talk with my boss. I had a tough talk with my pastor. And I want them to be able to say, well, he loved me. He cared for me. Or at least he wanted my best. You know, I know some of our jobs, it's hard to talk about love and, you know, those kinds of things. But you know what? You can be kind. You can be gentle. You can be righteous. Do the right thing. And then if you can slip in, I love you, bro. Or, hey, sister, I love you. I think it's good for them to know if you're leading them that you actually care for them. You do love them. That's, that's okay. That's okay. Just don't be weird about it. Amen. Don't be weird and get me in trouble and have, like, your employees come here and be like, oh, my boss, like, sits me down for five minutes and tells me how much he loves me, and then he writes me love letters. It's all weird, and it's not right, and I'm a dude, and he's a dude, and that just doesn't make it right, you know. Anyways, last one, show mercy. Everybody say, mercy, Lord. Oh, man, don't we need mercy givers? Mercy givers are those who are always the first to forgive, the first to be kind, and the first to have steadfast love. Sue Ellen, our children's pastor, is a mercy giver. Every time we're in our staff meetings and something's going wrong, we're all getting fired up, and she's just like, I love them. I just feel for them. I really want to pray for them, you know. And we're like, oh, God, help them. Help me not kill them and send them to meet you now, Lord. Help me not pray for Anais and Sapphira to happen again in the church. And there's this, you know, just that soft voice, but I love them. I'm praying for them. I remember the first time somebody left our church and she was in leadership. She was just crying, but I miss them so much. I miss them so much. That's a mercy giver. They give mercy. They give mercy. One time, uh, my mom is not a mercy giver. One time I was in a uh, jiu-jitsu wrestling match with my friend. I didn't know it was going to go down like that. It started off as a friendly wrestling match. But before I know it, I was on in some cage fight, uh, going down and getting death chokehold. And... Uh, Basically, I started choking. I couldn't breathe. I felt my esophagus, whatever this is, swelling up. And so I go to my mother. Some of you have heard this story. I go home because she was visiting. Nancy and I were just dating. I go to my mother. And I say, I think, I think I'm kind of choking here. and I, It's hard to breathe and all this. And, and she gives me a peppermint. And she goes, why don't you just suck on this and be, you'll be all right. Because that's how my mom was. That's how she was. That's how, my mom cut my hair like that, too. She said, look, I'm going to cut your hair, and if I cut you, I'll buy you something, so don't cry too much. And that, that's how I got a lot of my toys. My mom would cut me while we would get, get my hair cut, but I had to take it. It was just like, don't cry. I'm going to get you a toy if I cut you. Come on, let's just do this. And um, 
So she gives me this, and obviously it doesn't go away. I call up my friend, my friend who's a doctor. He's like, oh, my gosh, you better get to the hospital because that's serious. You can swell up and stop breathing if, it, if it's feeling like that. And I, I'm, I'm there at the emergency room signing my papers, and they rush me in too. And I don't even tell them you should rush me in because, you know, obviously that doesn't work. So I'm just filling out my paper, and they're like, well, this is a breathing problem. Boom, you're in. I'm now in extreme amount of pain. They give me pills. It doesn't stop. They then shoot me up with morphine and give me an IV before the pain finally stops then they have to take a big wd-40 can thing i don't know what that was sprayed up my nose down my throat to numb me to put a camera down there to see how i'm doing they still see it swelling so they're not sure so they give me an mri put me underneath that thing and spin it around to see the x-ray if it's actually going to swell to the point where i can't breathe or i'm okay and then they send me home with vicodin and pain pills and this is what my mom gave me to solve the problem so there are people who are like my mom, and there are people not like my mom. And those who are mercy givers, like, oh, Dito, oh, I'm taking you to the hospital. And that was my wife. She was holding my hand the whole time. Oh, I'm here with you. I'm never letting you wrestle again. And that's why still to this day I can't wrestle none of you guys and show you how strong I am because I don't want to go to the hospital again. But we should show mercy. All of us should show mercy as Christians. But if that's really your gift, pour it out. Don't be foolish and just say, you know, oh, well, someone stole from our company. Let's keep them in charge of the finances. No, I mean, that's foolish mercy. But be wise, you know, but be, but be generous to people. Be kind. Be that person that others can come to, as they call that soft edge to fall on, that, that, that person that buffers them in life. Because we need mercy, don't we? Sometimes we need to be told that God still loves us. Would you stand to your feet with me? If you love Jesus and his grace, can you bless the Lord? Come on, we love you, Jesus. Band, would you come, please? Altar workers, come on. Would you scroll to the bottom there? I want to give you this final thought today as we think about these gifts that God has given us. The body of Christ has a place for you to serve, but it's not based on God's need. God doesn't quote-unquote need you because God doesn't need anything. He's God. But God's desire for you is that you would belong and know his heart. So to be a servant, to be a leader, to be these things that God has given us to do, it's a gift. And though God didn't have to give it to you and God really doesn't need you, God wants you to know his heart and do it his way. And I don't want to scare you with judgment as we're about ready to pray, but seriously, when we talk about God's judgment, this is what we're talking about. What did you do with your gifts? Can I be real honest with you in closing? Is it okay if I, be, if I be honest with you? One of my best friends who was an encourager while we were growing up is a lifelong DJ in a strip bar because he encourages women to take off their clothes and men to give big tips. That's how he uses his gift of encouragement. I got your attention there, didn't I? Right? See, don't use your gifts for selfish gain. How many believe, whether you like him or not, Donald Trump has a gift of leadership? I mean, he built a building and put his name on it downtown. You don't do that not knowing what you're doing. But how many think he has a gift of mercy? How many think he has a gift of encouragement? He's not using it. So are some of you gifted with finances and business? But you think because you made it to the top, you don't have to be nice. You don't have to be kind. See what I was talking about before? Don't end today being that way. Use your gifts for God.
Don't turn them for your own benefit. Say, God, here's my gifts. You gave them to me. I give them back so that you can use them for your heart, your love. Here they are in closing one last time. As we hear the list, would you think now one more time over the ones that God has given you and ask the Lord to use them for his glory, for his heart? And if there are some that you want to be used in, maybe you really want to be used in mercy, and I can give this to my mom's credit, so I have to say this so she doesn't get too mad at me. My mom really has worked on becoming a merciful person. In her later years, now as she's grown older, she's so much more merciful. And some might think it's because she doesn't have the energy like she used to. No, she's still pretty sassy and has a lot of energy. But she's really worked on that because she wanted that gift. Can I tell you the gift that I'm working on? Encouraging. I don't want to just be a guy that says, Andrew, because we had to talk today about the baptism. Like, Andrew, come in, set up the baptism Sunday. You're a plumber. You know how to get the water out there. Do No, I want to come and be like, hey, bro, how, how you doing? Man, thanks for all your help, man. Is it okay if you come in tomorrow? I mean, next week early, you know. I want to encourage him. I don't want to use him. Does everybody get that? So pray for me. I want to be an encourager. Here they are. Let's listen to them in closing. Which ones are for you? Prophesying, speaking the heart of God to the hearts of men. Serving, helping, assisting, benefiting those around you. Teaching, instructing, informing, advising. Encouraging, inspiring, filling with courage, hope, and boldness. Giving, helping others meet their needs. Leading, managing, overseeing, guiding, showing mercy. Giving forgiveness, kindness, and steadfast love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there's not one of us here that doesn't have a gift that you've given to us. We've heard growing up as kids, you know, everybody's talented, everybody has their own gift, but sometimes it doesn't make sense because we always look at those kind of people as the ones who are always on TV singing or making money. But God, you really explained in this scripture how all of us really have a gift. We may not be in the spotlight. Everybody may not be hearing us use or see us use the gift, but you really all gave us gifts. And I pray now we all use them, that we put them to work for your glory. Right now, 30 seconds in closing, would you surrender that gift to God and say, Lord, it's yours. I give it back. Now use it for your glory. Right now, come on, just give it to God in prayer. Just open up your mouth, say a prayer between you and God. God, use my gift for your purpose. Use these gifts for your glory. Hallelujah. I thank you, God, for all the gifts in this church. I thank you for all the hands, all the feet, all the different parts that work together to make an awesome church. I thank you for all the gifts that you've given families here. I thank you for the gifts that the church is here to their jobs tomorrow. I thank you, Lord, that you're using us to change the world, to make it the kind of place you want it to be. Because you said your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Five more seconds. You and God, your gifts, do they belong to him or are they going to be used on your own self? Let's sing this out as we get ready to go. I'll pray a prayer of dismissal in just a moment, but could you sing this before we go? I am yours. I am yours. Yes, I am yours. I am yours. For all my days, Jesus, I 
thank you for your patience today. Let's seek after the gift giver. He gave them to us. Let's surrender them to him. Jesus, Just one more time. I know some of you are feeling that today. I'm with you, man. I'm feeling it. This is such a great place to be, a place of surrender. Jesus, I am Lord, there are so many gifts you've given us, and I pray we'll each use them for your glory. May we leave out of here today knowing what they are and how to use them. In Jesus' name I pray, that name above every other name. And everybody said, amen. Can you bless him today? Isn't he good? We love you, God. Amen. Will you slap your